3: This is Rush Hour with Danny Burke on Feast the Sports Betting Network.
4: Happy Friday, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to it. It is time to start up another edition of Rush Hour, which is presented by Bet Rivers. And as always... Myself, truly Danny Burke broadcasting live out of the Bat River Sportsbook here in Displains, Illinois. Got a nice crowd happening here. We've got more baseball in the mix, which we'll be looking to give you some best bets with momentarily. That's how we'll kick things off this evening. I've got two plays on the diamonds, so just hold on and we'll get to Danny's dimes in a second. But let me tell you what else we got dialed up for the show tonight, because we're going all over the place. We're gonna be hitting some college football in our next segment. Colin Wilson, senior writer at the Action Network, is been covering closely the SEC and then the ACC. So we'll get kind of a macro preview of both of those conferences, see what kind of dark horses could come about and what bets he may be looking to make if he hasn't already regarding those conferences in college football. And then afterward, how about UFC Fight Night Tomorrow morning out in London. Yeah, it's an early bout. So we've got really good fights. I'm sure you've been seeing a lot of the clips on Twitter and other websites leading up to this weekend. But guys like Patty the Batty and, you know, a lot of these other top fighters, really a solid card for a fight night. And a lot of times we kind of gloss over it. But, you know, Reed kuhn has been absolutely crushing it in the octagon. So we got to get him on in 30 and see what he's playing for tomorrow morning. Curtis Blades, Tom Aspinall, that main event, by the way. So we'll be sure to dive into that. And then at the end of the show, which will be 45 from now, uh, we got to continue and really get deeper into our preview for the AFC South. We spent all the time on the Indianapolis Colts. Let's expound on that with the other teams. We'll take a look at the Jaguars, and naturally we'll take a look at the Titans for two more teams to round out the AFC South. Like I said, a lot to get to, but let's go ahead and jump right into it with my best bets for tonight, a.k.a. Danny's Dimes. And we can take you right here where we are, being the Windy City, Take you to guaranteed rate field where the White Sox taking on the Guardians. Now, the Guardians have really been a nightmare for the White Sox up to this point. They've taken six out of nine games as of this point in the season, but the Sox were at least able to snag a couple in their most recent series. Otherwise, man, it would be an absolute nightmare. And then some for the White Sox against this Cleveland team. But at least the White Sox, as we know, ended their first half on a nice little hot streak. But what can they produce tonight? They're throwing Lucas Giolito out on the bump, and man, I mean, it's been a struggle for Giolito this season. I know a lot of betters who just almost consider fading him every time he pitches because the market adjusts so heavily toward him when really he, again, has not been that successful. He's got a 6-5 and five record. All right, not too shabby, but his ERA is 4.69, and his FIP, which we always consider as a true indication of what we can see for the ERA, it's at 4.28 for Lucas Giolito. His walks and hits per innings pitched, 1.40. He's got a 15.5% home run to fly ball ratio. Folks, remember, you want to be below 10%. His BABIP is 338. You want to be below 300. He is striking out over 10 guys per nine innings. He's walking a little bit over three. And his skill interactive ERA, aka his Sierra, is actually pretty solid as well, 3.61. So it goes back and forth, but overall, you know if you've been watching, Giolito has not been a steady pitcher. And especially at home. For whatever reason, he has been brutal at his home confines. I mean 530 ERA, 359 weighted on base average, and a 454 fifth. He's been worse at guaranteed rate field than away from home. But the good news out of Giolito is the opponent tonight. He's gone up against the Guardians two times and has been really good in those outings. His last start was actually at Cleveland. The White Sox won that game two to one. He gave up a run, but it wasn't an earned run technically. He went six innings pitched, allowed five hits, racked up five strikeouts. So good performance out of Giolito. And then he did earlier in the year face the Guardians at home. He went seven innings in that game, allowed six hits. However, just one earned run also racked up five strikeouts in that game. And the Sox also were victorious, except the score in that one is four to one. So Giolito, although he hasn't been, again, the most consistent pitcher up to this date, at least there has been some consistency against your division foe, the Cleveland Guardians. Now, for the Guardians, they're throwing out Cal Quantrill. Quantrill's had a not-so-great year himself. He is also 6-5, and five, but his ERA is 375. But again, we got to consider the FIP, and we got to consider the Sierra. And his FIP is 445. His Sierra is 481, so don't let the ERA fool you. Quantrill is not a guy who really should be trusted. And he's only striking out a little bit over five guys per nine innings and walking about three. And his numbers on the road... Ain't anything to write home about, 466 ERA, 356 Woba, and a 456 FIP. Now he's gone up against the White Sox twice himself, at Chicago, went 6.1 innings, allowed 9 hits, 4 earned runs, they lost that game 4-1. Then he has almost identical numbers when they played the White Sox at home, he went 6 innings, 8 hits, 4 earned runs, also 3 strikeouts, however, Cleveland won that game 8-4. So, again, we see Quantrill here, a guy whose numbers really aren't the best. He has struggled on the road, and in two games against the White Sox, he's given up four earned runs both times. Giolito, you've got to ask yourself, can you trust this guy? After the break, can you get a resurgence from him? And more importantly, can you get a resurgence out of these White Sox bats, especially against righties? You know, against righties, we've been giving them so much grief, and rightfully so, because they've been one of the worst teams hitting righties in Major League Baseball but they started turning things around in July. If you look at how they hit against righties in the month of July, their OPS jumped to 742, their BABIP to 322, their weighted on base average to 325, and their weighted runs created plus up to 113. If you're above 100 in that category, you're doing pretty fine. And the White Sox the last month against righties, They're doing not so bad, okay? And that's just a completely different outlook than what we've seen for the White Sox against righties. And the only reason I would be considering betting them is because of how they looked in July. If we took that out, no chance I would want to back uh, Giolito in this White Sox team against whoever the righty is. But speaking of going against righties, look, Cleveland, they're doing okay against them as well. 113 WRC plus is in a 752 OPS. Now the Guardians also have a good bullpen. A little bit better than the White Sox. 3.66 is their ERA, and the White Sox finally showed some improvement in the pen. They're now down to 3.90. They were in the fours as we are heading closer into July, and then, uh, of course, into the All-Star break. So, look, when I talk in the Chicago CityCast, I always preview these Chicago games, and I make my own lines, and, yeah, I had the White Sox as a favorite, but I only had them as a minus-130 favorite. Well, Bet Rivers opened them at minus-164. Look, I think the White Sox are going to win. I think they should be the favorite, but no chance in hell am I laying over minus 150 with this White Sox team against a Guardian squad that has had your number. Again, I do think they win, but I don't want to lay that much. What you may be able to expect tonight is a decent amount of runs, right? We know Giolito has been serviceable against the Guardians, but they hit righties well, and this is the third time they're seeing him. As for the White Sox, we just told you their bats have come alive against righties. Quantrill not really a sufficient pitcher in this spot. I look to play the total over here. I opened it at eight and a half, but Bet Rivers opened at eight, and you can still get it down to eight. You're paying a little bit of a price. I laid minus a buck twenty, so in case the push does happen, I can at least get bailed out with that for paying a little bit more. But I still wouldn't shy away from going over eight and a half, which is what you're seeing right now with the price of minus one thirteen. Hotter day, wind should be helping with the home runs. Hoping the bats come alive at guaranteed Rate field. My best bet for this game, over eight runs at the price of minus 120. If you don't want to buy it, I'd still feel fairly comfortable with over eight and a half for the White Sox and the Guardians. So that's the first game I got rolling with tonight. The other game also going to be in the American League out on the East Coast. We've got the Red Sox and the Blue Jays in a very important series here. And you see the Blue Jays swinging to the favorite in this game because in some spots they opened as a slight dog, but at bet Rivers they opened at a pick and now you're seeing the Blue Jays up to minus 120. It's been going back and forth, but most recently you see them minus 120, and now Boston is the home underdog plus 104. The Blue Jays won four out of five heading into the break, and Boston lost four out of five george springer is going to be getting another day of rest to get that elbow in the right area but hey look i mean this blue jays offense is still lethal they fired their manager and maybe they get that spark to carry over from the all-star break and you get a nice advantage here with kevin gossman taking the bump for you now gossman six and seven but it's not all his fault because look his numbers are spectacular 287 era 129 whip 185 FIP, which is amazing. He's racking up 10 strikeouts per nine innings and walking less than two guys per nine innings. Just a 3.3% home run to fly ball ratio and a 3.11 on a Sierra. And his numbers are even better on the road than they are at home for whatever reason. And guess what? He has seen the Red Sox three times. And in three outings, he has gone 21 innings pitched, allowed 15 hits, but just one earned run. 27 strikeouts along the way. Eight nine and ten respectively you can bet over five and a half k's at minus 125 for gossman if you think the trend persists on the other side you got nathan Yavaldi. he's actually been pretty decent against the blue jays as well Uh, went four innings in one game allowed one earned run six strikeouts they won two to one another spot at toronto went seven innings allowed two earned runs but they lost six to two overall his numbers not bad 334 era But he's got a 22% home run to fly ball ratio and a FIP of 4.60. And he has been rough at Fenway. With a 6'11 FIP, man, you really can't seem to trust him at Fenway. Even though he's done good against the Blue Jays, maybe Toronto can come alive here. We know the Blue Jays have really good numbers against righties. 7'66 OPS, 114 WRC+. Boston against righties at home, 98 WRC+. 7.33 7.33 OPS. It's okay, but nothing outstanding. So yeah, Iovaldi has performed well against Toronto. I would typically look at Toronto first five because their bullpen has been wishy-washy. But if you give yourself more innings against Eovaldi, who again has limited your offense, maybe that opens up the door for more opportunities with this Blue Jays team. And the price was cheaper on the full game for Toronto as opposed to the first five. So ultimately I ended up laying minus 119 with the Blue Jays on the money line make sure you shop around this price is varying a lot but i like the advantage here for toronto hopefully gossman keeps it together and hopefully those bats come alive so give me the blue jays on the money line for my other pick tonight so danny's dimes officially blue jays money line and then we got cleveland and chicago over eight runs at the price of minus 120. all right more betting action coming your way we'll switch things over to college football colin wilson Over at the Action Network, going to be taking some time to give us some insight on the SEC and ACC. Coming next here on Visa.
0: I'm Katja Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico.
5: Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. The
2: 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters— I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening.
5: This
3: is Rush Hour on VSN, the sports betting network. If
4: you're looking for more sports betting discussions centered around your local teams, Bet Rivers has you covered. Bet Rivers has launched a series of CityCasts that are designed to tackle sports betting from the local perspective. And you've got these CityCasts in Chicago, Denver, Detroit, LA, New York, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Washington, D.C. So make sure you subscribe to your local CityCast wherever you get your podcasts available, and you'll be set up with multiple episodes a week along with great local sports betting content. Okay, back in the mix here on Rush Hour. Danny Burke, your host, ready to talk some college football. And, man, we're ready for the season to begin. Can't come soon enough. But to help give us a more in-depth preview, we're bringing on Colin Wilson at underscore Colin one, where you could follow him on Twitter and you can get more of his content over at the action network. And man, Colin's been a busy man going to all these different conferences, media days, and he still has the big 10 media days to go, but I know we got some good scoops and insight with the sec and ACC, which we'll primarily focus in on. So Colin, uh, thanks for making some time during this busy season for you. And I, I kind of want to get things kicked off with the sec. Maybe not a conference, as we know, to have that much parity. I mean, you know, you look at Georgia to come out of the East or minus 715, and then Alabama's certainly a huge favorite in their own respect. But aside from just those two teams, just for a second, is there maybe a dark horse contender that can at least give them a run for their money?
3: Yeah, I, you know, I said this while I was at SEC Media Days, and thanks for having me on. Uh, if Georgia did not exist in the SEC East, I would say Kentucky to win uh, that that division by far. I mean, they return more than seventy percent of what the you know, the experience that they had last season uh, on both sides of the ball. This is a team that dominates in the trench. They've got a lot of skill, position, uh, ex- experience, and talent. Uh, I think they finished top ten in offensive success rate last year. Uh, defensively, they're always top fifty in havoc and top fifty in finishing drives, which keeps. Uh, other teams from scoring once they have drives that go past the 40-yard line. Kentucky is, that that football program gets better and better, and Stoops overachieves year after year. The problem is, is Georgia is just such an animal and such a beast. Uh, you can't lay down a bet on Kentucky without trying to find some sort of hedge strategy or headroom when they take on Georgia head-to-head.
4: Now, another team that a lot of people keep talking about in terms of, I guess, just a squad that could pose a threat is naturally Texas A&M because we see them kind of coming next in terms of the odds to win the SEC they're at 16-1 to by the way Georgia plus 155 at Bet Rivers and Bama minus a buck 77 but you know what do you expect out of the Aggies this year maybe not as much talent as they have had in the past couple of years or expectations but again this is an established program that should be getting solid recruits what can we expect out of them?
3: Yeah, and that's the amazing thing is they've had some of the best skilled position players in the SEC, uh, you know, from Isaiah Spiller to uh, Devin A. Shane. Uh, they, they've, they've just haven't had a quarterback to make that work. And, you know, the other thing is the Jimbo's offense, the pro-style offense. I'm just not sure that's something that can win inside the SEC. I mean, Nick Saban made the change years ago to go to more spread, more RPO, more tempo when he needs it. And that's just not Texas A&M's game. And defensively, they've always been solid, one of the best in the conference last year top 10 success rate, second in the nation in finishing drives, but they lose their defensive coordinator, and the thing that irks me about Texas A&M the most is that they didn't go out and get somebody that maybe Mike Elko, the former defensive coordinator, he's now at Duke, they didn't go out and get somebody that specifically knows his system, like Clark Lee at Vanderbilt, that is a Mike Elko protege, that's a part of his coaching tree. They went out and got DJ Durkin to be the defensive coordinator, and if you look at DJ Durkin's past, he's never coached a 4 5 and the first thing Jimbo says is, we're sticking with a four-two-five on defense. Well, that's interesting because DJ Durkin's never coached a four-two-five. So, even though this team, you know, defensively is one of the most talented in the nation, uh, you know, they only return fifty-two percent on defense, and they have a coach that's never coached this scheme, this personnel before. So, it's going to be an interesting watch.
4: What else I think is kind of interesting here is, and it's not just with the SEC, but teams in general when you have so much turnover after having really just an entertaining, fun, and kind of dominant year. And for Ole Miss, that was the case last year, a team that was a blast to watch, putting up so many points. And, you know, the future of the school and the football program seemed up and up, but this year looking more like the opposite with a lot of transition in place. Is this going to be a rough year for the Rebels, or maybe can they at least be competitive in some spots this season?
3: Yeah, they're going to be able to be competitive to teams that don't have the defense that's going to be able to contain what Lane Kiffin wants to do on offense, whether that's Luke Galtmeyer or Jackson Dart running quarterback. Uh, we'll find out. He did not, Lane didn't elect to bring a quarterback to SEC Media Day, so he's going to let that battle go on throughout camp. Uh, and, and I think the thing is there's just so many transfers that come in on the defensive side of the ball. Them improving to a top 40 defense from a success rate back there last year was very impressive, but they still have problems with opponents scoring at will whenever they want, um, you know, and they finished 98th in havoc last year, meaning they're not ripping the ball out. They're not getting enough PBUs, They're not getting any interceptions. So the defense is going to be a constant issue for Ole Miss. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it turns out for lane. I mean, I, I have them projected at 7.3 wins. I think that's below like where, where their win total is at right now, but it's just a lot of turnover on the team, a lot of turnover, at the quarterback position, new offensive coordinator coming in, although we know lane's calling the plays there. Uh, I shocked Lane a little bit. I asked him at media day specifically, did you know that you broke an FBS record of fourth down attempts? It used to be 46 and you went 49. He's, he said, well, that's a, you know, it's a great recruiting tool for me to tell my players that I believe in them. But at the same time, you know, he's, he's playing that analytics playbook to the max.
4: Yeah. And and look, that's kind of the new day and age. And you're right. I mean, you kind of, he said, it seems like in a joking way, but really it is a good tool. I mean, he's putting faith in his guys. That's the type of dude you want to play for. And especially if you're going with the new direction of football. So yeah, I mean, Ole Miss, it's again, only a matter of time. They just kind of got to get through these rough patches and it's always rough when you're dealing through the SEC, but let's go ahead, Colin, and switch it up to the ACC. Now, this conference having a little bit more parity, naturally. I mean, you got Clemson as the favorite, but only a slight favorite, minus 125. The Hurricanes at plus 450, NC State 8-1, to and then Pitt is 10-1. to To begin with Clemson, is this a year that they just completely bounce back, or could it still maybe be a rougher path for them, knowing that the other teams in their conference seem to be taking a step forward?
3: Yeah, I think the biggest, problem that I have with Clemson going into media days is I want to know where DJ Gale, Gale was. He showed up at spring practice. He was still, you know, having, you know, you know having the weight that he had uh, <laughs> at the end of last season. Uh, you know, i think he had as many interceptions as he had touchdowns. Uh, a lot of turnover worthy He plays did not look like the kid that played during the pandemic season behind Trevor Lawrence uh, timing, not there with the wide receivers and DJ came into media days uh on Wednesday and was as slim as ever uh talked about being down to 235 he was up to 260 uh whether that helps him with his timing with wide receivers he says that everybody's bought in he said that not everybody was on the same page from an offensive line and from a wide receiver perspective but you know he gets a lot of questions about can you handle do you listen to noise and does it affect your play He's a sensitive kid. I mean, I don't think he blocks out anything. I think he reads everything. He doesn't block anything out. So it's going to be interesting to see if DJ can get off to a hot start and, you know, just have some, have some belief in himself that he can return to the form he was. Now, this is going to be the best defensive line in college football. It's going to uh, physically, they're not as big uh, as what they had in 2018, which is an all time defensive team in college football. But Clemson is going to be the best defense in the nation. I expect them to be top five everywhere. But after going to Big 12 media days, I have to ask the question, is there another Brent Venables out there? Because he is a real special dude. I mean, he's high energy. Uh, He's been stealing plays, stealing signs from opposing offenses for years. And I know that we are asking, you know, Goodwin, our new defensive coordinator, to come up and fill the role of Venables. But how good is he going to be at executing on the field at the same level of Venables? Yes, you have the same skill talent. But. We don't have Skowski at middle linebacker anymore, lining up everybody on the defense, and was also helping in six years of playing linebacker, stealing plays from opposing offenses. So I get it; they have the more talent than anybody in the nation, but they are not my team that I think is going to win the ACC, and I don't think that they're going to win uh, even their division. I think there's a, a hungrier dog oh. in that division. All right. Well, hey, we got about forty-five
4: seconds, Colin. Can you give us the spoilers for uh, which team that may be?
3: No team, no two teams came in more focused ACC media day than NC State and Pitt. Uh, I wrote a column up on Action Network, the ACC preview. Uh, NC State, take them now, eight to one. That number is coming from 14 to one down to eight to one. It's not going to stop coming down. Uh, Pitt, on the other hand, uh, this new offense, Narduzzi loves it. It matches the grind that he's got on defense. That's my two teams to meet in the ACC championship. Love it. Love seeking
4: out that value, especially when you're kind of accustomed to Clemson being the favorite, even though not that much, always like to get a decent price. And like Colin's saying, hey, Pittsburgh, they're 10-1 to 1 right now. You missed it a little bit with NC State, but still 8-1, to 1, not too shabby. So, Colin, uh, unfortunately, we are up against it. Would love to keep talking more college football with you. We'll have to get you on once again, but uh, this was a blast, man. Thanks for making some time.
3: Thanks for having me, guys. You
4: got it, Colin Wilson folks, make sure you get his content over at the Action Network and if you want to follow him on Twitter, at underscore Colin one on the tweets. But yeah, looking at NC State 8-1 and Pitt at 10-1, should be interesting as well to see how Cristobal does in his first season with the Hurricanes. Because then they're the second short shot at plus four fifty, right behind Clemson, who's at minus one twenty-five. Lots of college football still to be discussed, and football in general. Not this segment, but the next coming after. Well, we'll get back into the NFL. In between, though, we got UFC Fight Night or well, fight morning, I guess. Over across the pond, Reed Coon, he's got top plays all over the place. The man has been crushing it in the octagon. Let's get some plays from him coming next year on Rush Hour.
3: Shower on VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network.
4: The VEASAN Summer Special is here, and for only $19, you get everything VEASAN has to offer from right now to the end of July. If you sign up today, you'll get VEASAN's Daily Best Bets, which includes Adam Burke's top plays throughout Major League Baseball. NFL preseason coverage along with premium articles covering golf UFC USFL and NASCAR so if you want that full VEASAN experience which features the daily best bets email along with every edition of point spread weekly and use of our betting tools with a live video stream whenever you want it the cost is only $19 and you can be a subscriber through July 31st so make sure you check it out now at VEASAN.com slash summer that's VEASAN.com slash summer Okay, welcome back to Rush Hour here on v the Sports Betting Network. I'm Danny Burke, your host. Thank you for being with us on this Friday evening. We've got more betting action coming your way. This time we're going to take it to a different setting, the Octagon, and going across the pond with some early morning action for UFC Fight Night. A great card to look forward to and to help us handicap it. Reed Kuhn joining us right now at Fightnomics, where you can catch him on the tweets Great MMA, uh, MMA part of me insider looks at the analytical approach and Reed. I know you've been crushing it uh, coming into this fight, so thank you for making some time. Really looking forward to it. Uh, you've got a handful of angles here, so we could just get right into it. Starting with the main event, you got Curtis Blades here as a slight underdog, right? He's plus 117 right now at Bet Rivers. Tom Aspinall, the favorite, laying minus a buck 48. Is there value to be had with Blades for this main event?
6: There's a lot going on here to caveat a pick, but yes, the short answer is yes. I do believe there is value in the underdog here. But I'd have to also say that anyone who's looking at the Uber tail of the tape that I sometimes tweet out, you're going to immediately notice that Tom Aspinall has some freakishly good stats. And that's because he rolled through competition in very short order. And so the question is, is do we believe that? Do, you know, is that sustainable? Probably not. There's going to be some regression to the mean eventually. He is stepping up in. You know, in terms of talent, and I think also stylistically, he's facing a real wrestler for the first time. And Blades is arguably the best wrestler in the heavyweight division right now, with Daniel Cormier having retired. And I think a wrestler is the antidote to someone who has slick striking and submissions. And Blades is going to have to grind it out. Going across the pond is a concern here. We're going to have 20,000 people giving that referee a reason to stand the fight up, and that is a concern. But just purely by the numbers and from the stylistic backgrounds. I like a wrestler, and if you've followed me along enough, you know I I like dependable wrestlers. He's facedown stiff strikers before. He can get it where he wants it on the mat. He then has to just stay out of trouble from submissions, which I think he can do.
4: Yeah, I mean, and look, more often than not, it seems like following with the wrestler is typically a viable strategy, and you're getting a little bit of plus money for it, so I like your angle there with Blades over Aspinall. Should be a hell of a fight. And another one with the main card that could be really solid. How about Nikita Krelov? Minus $2 right now at Bet Rivers going against Gustafsson, who uh, about plus 160 here. Uh, what's been your assessment for this fight? Does Krelov deserve to be that big of a favorite? And I know you get a lot bigger favorites, but I guess when he get into that $2 range, that's when you start going, all right, this guy's for real.
6: Yeah, Krelov, it seems like he hadn't really come into his own just yet. He came in very young. He would win in spectacular fashion. Then all of a sudden he would lose. Um, Gustafson has been Mr. Dependable. He was always facing elite competition. He would fall short, but sometimes he looked like a world beater, and he got a deserved title shot from that. The problem is that he has been out of the cage for a very long time. And when he came back... Last time around, he didn't look all that great, even though he was competing at heavyweight. So there's lots of confounding factors here. Time out of the cage, um, the layoff, but also the weight class switching. Those are a concern strictly by the numbers. I do like Krylov here, uh, but I am going to temper that bet. You know, I might I might throw him into a fun parlay, uh, not going to bet him too huge. I'm glad the, the price didn't get too inflated, at which point there would be some value on Gustafson. Uh, but we don't know which Gustafsson is going to show up this weekend, so it's hard to really depend on him to look like his former self, uh, whereas Krylov has probably gotten to become his best self in, in this point in his career.
4: Okay, I like it. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of people we talk to and just in general seem to want to do that. I mean, No one loves to lay that much of a price, but I guess if you have enough conviction, sometimes it's worth it. But as you alluded to, you may look for a different angle to do it. And I guess uh, your strategy with that, I'm sure it differs all the time, but is that typically – how you look to play it with some of those favorites, or do you also do something like uh, how is the fight going to end? Or is there kind of just, uh, I guess what I'm saying, is there a barrier to what price you're willing to lay just on an outright win?
6: Yeah, usually I, I, there are situations where I am backing a minus four to one, five to one favorite. There's actually a few situations on this card where I'm backing someone that big. Um, I, when I look at the math and if the math is coming out, that there is still value, even on a steep price, I will still play it. Now, I might also use it in parlays to increase the value or the return. Um, But in this case, with the upper weight classes, that's an area where I won't go too far. I might actually pull back a little bit. Light heavyweights, heavyweights, I don't have a read on the over-unders. I tend to focus those on the smaller weight classes that are more dependable and more stable. Fights like this where you have multiple confounding factors, yeah, if anything, I'm just going to back off my total play, uh, but I still am going to back him
4: okay understood well hey you talk about four dollar favorites here reading you got one with the women's flyweight bout molly mccann minus 435 against hannah goldie who's catching plus 330 is this one of those instances where you may be looking to lay that steep chalk
6: yeah absolutely love mccann here looked at her stats just lined them up side by side and it was just advantages all the way down for mccann also she's going to have the crowd behind her She's someone who feeds off that. We've seen her put in a high pace all the way into the third round. And so I think she has strong advantages on the feet while she's facing Goldie. And Goldie hasn't shown a ton of takedowns. She actually averages well below the UFC average. So I don't expect her to get this fight down for long periods of time. It might get there eventually. But I think McCann really is the play here. Um, She's gonna have tons of advantages. And so that's someone I'm going to back, even as a steep favorite. And yes, if you're looking to make some parlays, she makes a great anchor.
4: All right. Well, let's kind of venture into the prelims here. Looks like you have some betting interest with Dia Casey and then Hatsovich here. And Dia Casey about minus 375. Hatsovic about plus two eighty. Uh, in terms of the outright winner, who are you leaning toward? And then anything in terms of the length of how long this fight may be going, or I guess the
6: end result, any kind of alternative bets you may be looking to tie in with it? Yeah, Diakesi here, I I like him as the favorite. I think there has been a little bit of price inflation. uh, But to your point, I'm also looking at the over. Both these guys tend to be busy and durable. They've they've been finished, but they're not knockout artists. They're not submission aces. I do think this turns into a round-by-round, mostly point-striking contest. Um, Diakesi is actually the more likely person to take this to the ground, so that works in my favor. He also has decent stand-up metrics. He's very busy, and he likes to just outwork people, and so that also plays in our favor. So Diakesi, yes, he's the favorite. I think I'm going to get better value just taking the over, though
4: okay i like that approach hey reed we got a couple minutes left my man i wanted to leave some time if there's any fight that i missed that you think is important for people to hear or try to get a bet on what would maybe one of those other bouts be that we haven't hit yet
6: yeah there's a couple underdogs that i see value on um i'm not going to bet them huge and they're not huge underdogs either but one is paul craig scottish submission ace the guy snatches chokes he he breaks arms on the ground um, I think he does get that fight to the ground and in which case it's his ball game right there. Um, so Paul Craig uh, not only by the upset but also potentially a finish so by submission you might even get you know plus 200 there. and another grappler, a very good wrestler and submission artist is Makwanda Mirkani and he has been knocked out over and over and over again at this point in his career you know his draw is just not there but this is not the type of fight where it's going to be a stand-up striking duel he's fighting uh levitt and i think it's going to be a wrestling match and it's hard to argue with his credentials so i see value you're going to get uh pretty clear plus money like plus 150 plus 160 for Mirakani for the upset
4: awesome stuff reed coon everybody make sure to follow him on twitter at bite reed amazing work as always best of luck with all your plays and thank you again for making some time tonight my man thanks a lot You got it. Once again, Reed Kuhn, love getting his insight for everything in the octagon. He's been crushing it this year. So yeah, I'll be tailing up several of those plays. We've got some early action again across the pond for UFC Fight Night. Going to be starting earlier in the day and take your main event probably starting at about 5.30 p.m. Central Time. And remember, in that main event, Reed giving the nod to the slight underdog, Curtis Blades about plus 117 or so where you can get him at Bet Rivers. So, should be fun. So, we have that to look forward to. We got a couple of baseball plays tonight to look forward to that we discussed at the beginning of rush hour. And we'll try to recap that at the end of the show because we've got one more segment coming your way we're going to spend a majority of it talking some NFL, right? We haven't hit that yet. We've got the remainder of the AFC South to get to, or at least with the in-between teams, right? We've talked about the Colts. We're not going to hit on the Texans, but tonight we're going to take a look deeper into it because, hey, the Jags, they could be competitive, but the Titans, are the Titans going to take a step back? I'll get you deeper into my thoughts with that as we round out another edition of Rush Hour right here on the Sports Betting Network.
5: Check out Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. The
2: 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening.
3: This is Rush Hour on VSN, the sports betting network.
4: This weekend, root, root, root for your favorite Philadelphia and Chicago players with the Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook. During this weekend's Phillies and Cubs series, bet on any player to hit a home run and get the stake back if the player just records a hit. Plus, every Saturday, bet $25 on a baseball same-game parlay to get a free $10 BetRivers Rivers bet. So you can do it by visiting betrivers.com or just download the Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook app, for all the latest baseball odds, promotions, and boosts, hit a home run with Bet Rivers this weekend. It's a whole new ball game. All righty, it is time for our final segment on Rush Hour. I'm Danny Burke, your host. Remember, you can always follow along on Twitter at Danny Burke Five. As for Veasan, the Sports Betting Network, at Veasan Live on the tweets. So we've talked a little bit of UFC, some college football, and some baseball. Let's switch gears back to football, though, and in the NFL. Now, we've given out a preview for the Indianapolis Colts. It's looking like a pretty viable schedule and division for them heading into this year. They're minus 115 as a short shot at-bat Rivers to claim the AFC South. But what about some of the other squads? What about the Titans? They're plus 160. The Jags are 7-1. Don't really have to worry about the Texans; they're at twenty-five to one. But let's focus tonight on those two middle teams: the Titans and the Jaguars. And let's begin in Tennessee. This was a squad that last year ended up with a record of twelve and five. But this is also a squad that didn't really have too much positive news in the off season, right? You departed ways with AJ Brown and Julio Jones. You're not bringing back; he's now a free agent. You brought in Robert Woods. You drafted Traylon Bur- or Traylon Burks, pardon me. And some other guys that really aren't too notable make up your wide receiver core. You have Austin Hooper as your tight end. And of course, yes, you have the workhorse Derrick Henry as your running back. Oh, and let's not forget, there's a rift with the quarterback room, apparently, because you drafted Malik Willis and everybody's freaking out that Tannehill says, I'm not here to mentor him. Look, it's fine. He shouldn't be. They're going at head to head for their jobs. It can be cordial, but it's not his job to be a teacher. But anyways, looking into this Titans team, their odds to make the postseason Minus 110 each way. Their win total at Bet Rivers has the Titans set at 9. The juice is on the over, minus 122. Under 9 wins, if you feel like going that way, you're getting the price of even money. Let's go ahead, investigate the schedule, separate it like we always do. Winnable games, losable games, and then the toss-up games. Beginning with the winnable games, it begins immediately. Week one, you get the New York Giants at home. What a better way to start off your NFL campaign than going against Daniel Jones. That should be a winnable game for the Titans. If it's not, well, they got big concerns. Uh, Then you got to go all the way to week eight for your next winnable game if you're Tennessee. And that's on the road against Houston. It doesn't matter that it's on the road. The Texans are really going to be a disaster of a team. Then week 14, you get the Jags at home. That should be a winnable game. Week 16, you play the Texans again at home. Again, a winnable game. So only four winnable games. And the winnable games are really the spots that I think, yeah, uh, probably a majority of the time, seven times out of ten, at least the Titans will win this game in my mind. Losable games, quite the opposite, right? You're going to be an underdog in this game. It's going to be at a disadvantage for you in these spots compared to the others. And week two at Buffalo is certainly one of them. Week four at Indianapolis against the Colts. You probably split against them, and the one you lose, hey, why not have it be on the road? Week 9, you go to Kansas City to play the Chiefs. You'll lose that game. Week 10, you get Denver at home, but the Broncos are a better team than you. Week 11, you go to Lambeau to play Aaron Rodgers and company. Week 12, you get a team that was in the Super Bowl, didn't win it, but a team that could have improved this offseason, the Cincinnati Bengals. You get them at home, but again, on paper, they're the better team. They have the better quarterback and better talent. Week 15, you go on the road to the West Coast, you play the Chargers, will not be a fun game for you. Then you look at the 50-50 games. Which of these games could go either way? Week three versus the Raiders. Las Vegas, arguably, has a better team right now than the Titans. They're in the toughest division in football, so they may miss the playoffs. But on paper, yeah, the Raiders could have a better team. At least you get them at home. But Derek Carr with Devontae Adams and a healthy remaining squad, new coach, eh, the Raiders will be competitive. Week 5 at Washington, look, I'm not high on Carson Wentz. I have made that abundantly clear. But at the same time, I'm not that high on Ryan Tannehill. And you're on the road, so eh, it's a 50-50 game. Wouldn't shock me either way. Now, post-bye week, you're at home against the Colts. We talked about splitting. It wouldn't shock me if the Colts beat you twice. They probably don't, but I'll put that in the toss-up category. Uh, Week 13 at Philly, I'm not incredibly high on the Eagles and or Jalen Hurts compared to other quarterbacks. I do like him. I think they have a lot of skill set on their team, but eh, that one still could be 50-50. Not so sure about the Eagles' defense. Week 17 to get Dallas at home. I put that as a toss-up game more so because Dallas finds a way to screw themselves from time to time against teams they should beat. That could be a tough spot. Titans fighting for the playoff lives. Week 17. Then Week 18 at Jacksonville, I put that as a 50-50 because, one, Jacksonville should be more competitive. Not that they have the best home field advantage, but, hey, it's your division opponent. And, look, Week 18, maybe somehow the Titans do have a playoff spot set up, and, uh, look, they don't need to put their starters in. That could be the case. All in all, though, I got the Titans at 8-9. Yeah, not a lot of optimism for this Tennessee squad. I'm not a Tannehill fan in the first place. Like, to me, he's fine. He's serviceable. He is good, but he's not great and he's not going to take this team to the next level. At no point with Tannehill as your quarterback are you a Super Bowl contending team. Are you a division winning team in the AFC South? Sure, last year you are. This year, no, not with Matt Ryan and company in the mix in Indianapolis. And it doesn't help that he's losing weapons. Yes, you have Derrick Henry. Alright, yes, he got Robert Woods. Guess what? Both of those guys coming off big injuries. I get that Derrick Henry was implemented in the playoff game, but it was only a matter of time before Derrick Henry kind of started wearing out. You utilize him so much, and in a league that is pass-oriented, that's not going to be a viable strategy. Plus, the remaining teams in the division, i well, I guess maybe not the Texans, but at least the Jags are getting a little bit better. They should be more talented, new coaching staff, more talent, or, and just being healthier. That should help the Jags in spots against the Titans. So, look, I'm not that high in the Titans. I don't think you should be as well. I would take their win total under 9 at even money. I'm not going to do it because when you still have Derrick Henry, that's going to help you out. But until we see him maybe kind of slow down or get injured, I think I'm just going to stay stagnant on Tennessee. But if I had to play something with the Titans, I would only bet under. Yeah, again, I know I'm touting them as being kind of a lesser team, but the fact that I only have them one game under, it's not incredibly enticing considering they are the second best team, in my opinion, in the division, and it's still kind of wide open, right? We don't know for sure how Matt Ryan is going to transition. We're just expecting it to be better than Tennessee. So I like it. I don't love it. For the Jags, though, what about them? They were 3-14 and last year. They bring on a new coaching staff. Doug Peterson more competent than Urban Meyer, you would hope. Uh, Trayvon Walker, defensive edge, you drafted with the first pick. You got some other defensive guys as well. Got Evan Ingram at tight end. You got Etienne coming back healthy, debuting his NFL career. James Robinson still in the backfield. Christian Kirk, Marvin Jones Jr., and Zay Jones as your receivers. And, of course, Trevor Lawrence in his second year as quarterback. Plus 420 if you think they uh, make the postseason. If you think they miss, minus 590. Their win total, six and a half, kind of high. Overs plus 110, unders minus 134. Winnable games for the Jags consist of week five versus Houston, week seven versus the G-Men, New York Giants, for those who don't know, week 16 at New York against the Jets, and then week 17 at Houston. Losable games, there are a bunch. Week 3 at Los Angeles against the Chargers. Week 4 at Philly against the Eagles. Week 6 at Indianapolis against the Colts. You get an international game across the pond in London versus Denver. You will lose that game more often than not. Week 9, you do get the Raiders at home, but if they're almost better than the Titans, surely they are better than the Jags. Week 10, you're an arrowhead against the Chiefs. Week 12, it is post-bye week, but you get the Ravens. Not the best draw. Week 14 at Tennessee. Week 15 versus Dallas. Toss-up games, week one at Washington. I wouldn't be shocked if the Jags win that game, but still a 50-50 spot. Maybe a split with the Colts in week two. Maybe you keep it close. Toss-up game will give them the benefit of the doubt. Then week 13 at Detroit. I know the Lions are going to be more competitive, but I kind of put them on the same playing field as I do the Jags. Then week 18 versus Tennessee. Again, maybe the Titans have the division or somehow the division or a playoff spot wrapped up. And more importantly, hey, maybe the Jags just have a good chance to beat them in that spot. But I'm putting this Jags team at about five to six wins. I think they'll absolutely be a more competitive team. You'll get more rhythm offensively. Trevor Lawrence will have better play calling, more protection. And there will be times where you're going to need them to lose for your parlay, I'm sure, or a teaser. And they'll scare you. They'll make you sweat. But in terms of actually racking up the dubs, I don't think they're there just yet. And it's not the easiest of schedules. So if the price was a little bit better, I'd probably entertain under six and a half but I do think they end up with five to six wins. I'll search around a little bit later or just see where this number moves, but definitely a stronger lean with the Jags under six and a half wins coming into this season. So we still got the Texans to talk about, but that's how I'm feeling for those other teams in the AFC South. But in case you missed it at the beginning of the show, folks, we did have two official plays, a.k.a. Danny's Dimes to look forward to tonight. In baseball, we had, of course, that White Sox-Guardians game over eight runs, minus 120, and then Toronto and Boston. We're going with the Blue Jays on the money line. That's going to wrap it up for all of us here at Rush Hour. Thank you for making some time. Best of luck with all your plays, and enjoy your weekend, folks. Until Monday, take care.
3: Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because DEXCOM G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com.
1: Dexcom data on file twenty twenty-three. If your glucose alerts and readings for the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a plug glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com Compatibility.